Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. We are a church with a heart for people and the message of Jesus. It is our desire that you'll be drawn closer to God through today's teaching. To access notes from today's message, go to foxriverchristian.org slash message. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome everybody. The series that we're in right now is called Forward. Forward is the theme of the book of Acts, and even more so, it is God's will for each and every Christian that they are moving forward in their life. You see, we are either today moving forward with Jesus or we are drifting from him. I know that um, at times we like to think that we could just kind of stay in the same place. And in fact, that's exactly what the devil would want us to believe. That you can just kind of, you know, get stuck or stay where you're at, kind of hold your own without moving forward. But the truth of the matter is this. Today, we are moving forward with Jesus or we are drifting back away from him. And I'm sure that that is one of the things that God wants us to carry out with us into the week that we're going into right now. It's also true, not just of us as individuals, but it would be true of the church as well. You know, as COVID and the year 2020 came upon the church, it was just a great disruptor of it. And today, um, the Barnard Report is telling us in the next 18 months, listen, in the next 18 months, one out of every five churches could shut down. Either because of the disruption that COVID caused within it, or just because of the leadership, the pastor, and what um, they've gone through with COVID, they'll no longer be in the ministry. Now, I can tell you, that is not Jesus' will for his church. His desire for us is that we are moving forward, that his church is a place of life, it is a place of hope, and that it is a place of of joy for us. And we'll find today two essentials that we're going to be able to just plug in right away as we move forward with Jesus in our lives as well. So if you happen to have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it right now, and we're going to go over to the book of Acts chapter 15. Now while you're turning there in your Bible, or if you don't happen to have a Bible with you, if you grab your phone, open up your Bible app, you're going to be able to go right to Acts 15, and I really want you to be able to look at this with me um, tonight. If you haven't downloaded the Bible app yet, you can use the QR code that's in front of you to do that. It would be a great asset that you're going to be able to um, just add to, um, to your phone that way. If you haven't read the book of Acts, if it, if it would be a new book to you, the book of Acts itself is a book about forward. It's about Jesus as the church begins, as he begins to move it forward. And he gives to us there inspiration. He gives to us principles that we're going to be able to take and use in our lives right now. There's 28 chapters to the book of Acts. And so if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you just to take a chapter a day and over the next 28 days, open yourself up to this inspiration to um, that which God would help you in this forward movement in your life as well. Now, with Acts 15, I'm going to encourage you, if you've got it open right now, or if you'll look at it tonight or tomorrow, to read through this chapter for sure, just in the next day or so. Because there's um, 41 verses in it. We're only going to be able to look at about four of them together tonight. And you'll be able to continue to fill in that which we're starting together here. So Acts chapter 15, beginning of verse number one, tells us this. There were certain people that came down from Judea. I want you to think Jerusalem right now. To Antioch. Antioch was the place where the Gentile church, the non-Jewish church, was just starting. 
So they went down to Antioch and they were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elder about that question. Now, the question that's being um, asked or challenged right now is this. What does it take in order to be saved? Now, that word saved, it's used 160 times in the New Testament. In other words, the New Testament is just permeated with it. Saved is God's heart and desire for each and every person. To be saved means to trust Jesus as your Savior. It means to be born again. It means to become a child of God. Jesus said this, that he had come to seek and to save those that were lost. So that's God's heart for us. What was being said here is this. That in order to be saved, in order to become a child of God, that you need Jesus and you need Jesus and, then they filled in circumcision, or in other words, you need Jesus and continue to keep the Jewish customs or the Jewish way of life. Now to us, tonight, today, that may sound a little bit just like crazy to you. I mean, like, how could anybody think that? How could anybody believe that? It was because at that time, it seemed like it was the normal thing to do. In fact, for the first 20 years of the church, which is about where we're at in its history right now, everyone, because it was primarily the church in Jerusalem, just happened to be Jewish, and so they happened to be doing and keeping these things. Let's put ourselves in, just for a moment, to try and understand this, into the shoes of the person that would be teaching such a thing. These were people that had trusted Jesus. These were people that loved God. They loved the Bible, and they wanted others to know God that way. They would have noted this, that Jesus had been circumcised. Jesus had kept the law, right, because he's raised in a Jewish home that way. And that they saw Christianity as the fulfillment. It was like the ultimate of the, of the Old Testament and the coming of the Jewish Messiah. And therefore, God wanted all people to then move in that direction that way. Their arguments were so strong and powerful that they even convinced Peter. I'm talking the apostle Peter. They convinced him that that was the right thing to do. And for a while, Peter believed that until Paul comes and just helps him to go like, whoa, whoa, whoa you know, that's, not, that's not right. I've heard people today make some really strong arguments. And they've used the Bible to be able to do so. The problem in some of the things that people will make is that even though their argument is strong and they can put some Bible verses to it, it's just wrong. And that's where we find ourselves here. When they're making this, you know, putting all these pieces together, their conclusion was just wrong. Because God's really clear about this, about Jesus and anything equaling salvation. He said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 this. Now, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 hadn't been written yet. It will be in just a few years. 
But the Holy Spirit is bringing this to their attention right now. And the verse tells us that by grace that we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. This teaching, Jesus and, just continues on today. You think about it. Some people, you may have heard this, that would say, you need to receive Jesus as your Savior and you need to be baptized. Now, does Jesus want individuals to be baptized? The answer is, like, yeah, for sure he does. He asked his followers to do that. In fact, we've got an outdoor baptism that's going to be coming up in just a few weeks right now. It'll be on um, August 7th and 8th. And if you haven't, if you've received Jesus, if you haven't been baptized yet, I'd encourage you to use the QR code right now and sign up for that. But in order to get to heaven, that's the question. In order to be saved, you need to be baptized either as a baby or as an adult to get to heaven. The answer is clearly what? It's, clearly, it's, it's no. It's not Jesus and baptized to, in order to get to heaven. It's not Jesus and doing good works or doing the best that we possibly can. One of the most prevalent religious teachings all throughout the world today brings us back to the idea of a scale. If you ask a person, do you think you'll go to heaven? Most people will tell you this, I hope so. And if you ask them afterwards, well, why do you think you're gonna go to heaven? They're gonna say something like this, because I'm trying to do my what? Yeah, I'm trying to do my best. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm trying to do the best I possibly can. And what they're saying is this, because if I am good enough, if my good works outweigh my bad works, the bad things I've done in my life, my sin, if the good outweighs the bad, you go where? You get to go to heaven, right? But if the bad happens to outweigh the good, you're going to end up going where? Well, yeah, they need to go. They need to end up going to hell that way. So they're like, you know, I, I just really want to get this down and. Again, the Bible's really, really clear about this. It's, that it's by grace that we're going to be saved. Because Jesus isn't a scale tipper for us. In fact, we're going to see that Jesus is a scale clearer. A lot of Christians today are buying into this religious idea. I need to receive Jesus... But I still need to do good. Now, a part of that is because this whole idea of unconditional love is something that um, a lot of us, most of us struggle with, right? Um, how could God just love me unconditionally? I'm sure that I still need to do good in order to receive his favor. Or the idea that a person could do a, you know, some terrible, terrible things and be forgiven and end up going to heaven that way. But what we find, when we take... We look at what is in our life, the sin that is in our life, that is something to be dealt with. In fact, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody um, out walking a dog and they're carrying um, something that looks like this. Some of you, some of you have seen this before. Um, can you imagine that one person, when you finish walking your dog, you just walk in the house and you just plop this on the kitchen counter? 
I don't think there's many people that, you know, once, they, once they've gathered this, they just kind of just tuck it away and, you know, you kind of go through the day that way or <laughs> it gets worse, right? Can you imagine going into your favorite fine dining restaurant, sitting down there with the linens there and just like boop, putting it right on the table there? Eat your meal, and before you leave, you just pick it up, and you walk out with it again, carrying it, carrying it that way. There are a lot of Christians today that are doing just this. You see, they know the indiscretions. They know the failures. They know the sin that's in their life. And... They've trusted Jesus as their savior. But as I said, remember, Jesus isn't, it's like, okay, you got that stuff in your life. I know that, but because of what I'm doing, I'm the tipper. I'm gonna put, the, I'm gonna put my finger here. And so this is how your life looks right now. And we, we're viewing this, but Jesus doesn't put his finger on the scale. What Jesus is going to do is he is going to clear the scale. When he forgives us, he takes all of our sin, and it says that he has paid for it on the cross. That's the gospel that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He eliminated our sin. This is not something you're going to be carrying with you all the way until you get to heaven. Jesus said, I have taken it away. Now, there are some Christians that have this right beside you in your seats today. Here's what I mean by that. You have continued to carry with you your failings. You've continued to carry with you the struggles over the, the difficulties that you've had of your past. And because of that, even though you know you're Christian, you're just like, you're just carrying this around with you. And this is what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to take this and put it where it belongs. He wants you to understand that he has not only forgiven you, but he has completely cleared that scale. So when you are looking at yourself through the eyes of the past, again, you've got to take that, as it were, the spiritual, the sin crap of the past, and you need to take that and put it away just as Jesus has done for us. Why? Because for by grace you were saved through faith. It wasn't of yourself. It's a gift of God. Jesus doesn't, does, just doesn't tip the scale in your favor. He has completely cleansed us. That is the, is the gospel of grace. And the first essential, if we are going to move forward with God, forward with Jesus, is we need to make sure that we have taken this gospel of grace and embraced it in our lives. Receiving what Jesus has done for us, forgiveness, and also treating that which he has forgiven as forgiven, as behind us, as no longer something that we are carrying with us in our life because that is the grace of God. You see, Jesus plus nothing is what equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel of grace. That is the first essential. But we said there were two that come to us in Acts chapter 15. So once this point was made crystal clear to everybody, they then 
brought to a conclusion. You see, if you're reading through um, Acts chapter 15, what you're going to do is you're going to see in the first five verses this dissension over what does it take to be saved and do you have to have Jesus plus anything. Next, you're going to get the discussion in about the next 10 verses. The next 15 verses are going to give you the decision that's made. And finally, here's the deployment of that. And I put all that in your notes for you. So if you're reading through it, you can look at that. I've also put in there just four principles for how do you change in your life that way. We don't have time to deal with them. But I thought we'll just do that as a value add so you can look at them a little bit later um, using the QR code with your, with your notes there. But the decision that was made... If you still have your Bible, I want you to look with me at verse 19. Here's what James, James is the pastor, the leader of the church of Jerusalem. He's the one that's overseen this. He's going to say, it's my judgment. Now that's including Peter, he's weighed in. The apostle Paul's weighed in. Barnabas is weighed in. Everybody's weighed in. As he said, now here's the conclusion. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles are turning to God. So when you hear Gentiles, think non-Jewish. So in this case, it'd be non-Jewish Christians. We shouldn't make it for the, for the Gentiles, make it difficult, who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them, abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Four, the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, when you read that at first, first time through, you might be going like, okay, why, what, what exactly was being said here? Let's go back to these two essentials. Essential number one, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That's the gospel of grace. Essential number two is going to be the law of love. Romans 13.10 tells us, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, just as Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, if you're taking a note, I'd write this down. Jesus plus love equals Christian living. And in order for these Gentiles to move forward, they needed to be able to understand and take this law of love so that they are going to be able to live out their faith and not have it stopped or stymied because of these things that would just undercut love. And there's actually three of them that were given. The first one that was pointed out here was this. Love God by not worshiping idols or no idolatry. Now, when you're hearing idolatry, you might be thinking this. Well, those Gentiles were worshiping things that look something like this. You know, like it's statues that they're going to or temples they're going to. Remember, these were Christians already. They'd already settled that, settled that matter. One God, Jesus, Son of God, Savior, they'd embrace that. So they're not thinking the idols. What they are thinking, though, is an idol being that which robs us or keeps us from loving God as we could or as we should. An idol is that which gets in between God or actually takes God's seat in our lives. Like the idol of success or the idol of achievement. Sometimes things become our idols. You can have people that become our idols. In other words, they get that place that God should occupy 
and our focus turns to them. It's interesting, John Calvin, famous theologian, said this long, 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 long ago. He said that the human heart is a factory for idols. Now remember, this is being written to Christians. The Apostle John is going to say this, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Do you know that there are times that your pastor is an idolater? There are times in my life, success, pride, it's almost like they're bumping God off of that seat. Or sometimes I think of it this way. If you've ever done musical chairs or a cakewalk, and when you get down to that one chair that's left there, if you're a competitive person like some of us happen to be, I mean, I have been known to have people flying across the room because I hip-checked them like that. I mean, there's this one seat in your, in your life. And this is a throne that God can occupy, but other things want to dethrone God and get in front of us. Take a moment. What is it that's keeping you from moving forward with God today? What is it that's keeping you moving, from moving forward with Jesus? Chances are that's actually become an idol in your life. And what we want to do in order to move forward, to love God wholeheartedly, is to confess that idol, forsake it, and put it in the place that it belongs, and God back in his place. Now there was a second aspect of this. Because they knew the law of love not only applied to God, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, but he goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why these words here, that no immorality, in other words, love people by not committing immor or sexual immorality. You see, the Gentiles then, and when you hear, you know, hear Gentiles, it's like we are, reading, we are reading the pages of Scripture like in our newspaper and magazines today. The Gentiles, before they came to Jesus, they were secular, right? They didn't have God in their life. They didn't have a Judeo-Christian ethic in their life. It's like just so many people in the world today, so many people you know, around us today. It's like if you don't have God, you don't have Jesus, you don't have this ethic in your life, then here's how you approach things. Um, the Gentiles approach sex as like just another appetite. You know, like if, if you get hungry, it's an appetite, right? If you get hungry, you just go and eat a sandwich and deal with the appetite. Their idea towards sex was just this. If you have a you know, sexual desire, in other words, if, you have, if you're hungry, then you just, so to speak, go and eat a sandwich. It's just an appetite. In other words, it's just sex. And what Jesus does when he brings this sexual ethic or morality back to God's original point of sex, he goes like, sex is powerful. Sex is so important in our lives. And he said, you know, it's not loving just to use another person to fulfill or gratify yourself. That's not love. So don't do that. It's not loving to another to use them now, to have sex with them now, knowing that doing so is going to be setting them up in their future. It's going to be harder. It's going to be difficult. There may be guilt. There may be other issues that are just going to, you know, just going to carry with them that way. And so many of us understand exactly what that is all about. And so the law of love says... Love a person by honoring them sexually. 
Jesus brought it back to this. Remember I said sex is powerful? Jesus reminds us that sex actually knits the souls of two people together. Two people can become one that way. It is intended for a deep oneness. As Jesus would say, husband and wife to continue forward, to continue growing in oneness, sex has been designed just for that. So, 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us this. That, you know, we're not to be immoral in matters of sex. Why? Because that's what love demands of us. Rather than the opposite. And then one other point in loving people. And that was this. They went on to say, and now to the Gentile Christians, don't do idolatry. Don't fall into the trap of immorality. And... Don't eat things that are either strangled or that would have blood in them. So in other words, no charnina, right? Um, now you might be going like, I can see the importance of one. I can see the importance of two, but I'm not quite sure. Why are they telling them this? Because many times love, when we ask, what does love require of us? Love would ask us, to make concessions for the sake of unity. If you, were to, if you were to look in and go like, is it a sin to eat blood? Is it a sin to eat something that's strangled? No, it's not a sin. But in that time, remember those words? Remember the Jew, you know, the Jew said the law of Moses is read in every city? What they, were, what they were reminding them is this. You have now Jewish Christians in each city and you have Gentile Christians in each city. And it's not to be a Jewish church over here and a Gentile church here. They are to be in unity with each other. So when they'd come together and have the Lord's Supper, that was often a com- it was often done with a meal. Can you imagine what it would be like bringing, you know, a potluck supper and you've got your Jewish, you know, your Jewish friends that are going to be there and you've got your Gentile friends here and you bring ham sandwiches? How is that going to sit with them? In fact, that one thing, the, you know, food would keep fellowship from occurring, keep unity from happening. Now, here's what it is back to us again. Like, remember what I said? This is like taken right out of the headlines for us. Idolatry, immorality, and this matter of unity. We hear more and more Christians saying this today. It's like, I've got my rights. It's not sin, so I can go ahead and do it. See, the, we're always asking the wrong question. We shouldn't be asking the question, is it sin? We should be asking the question, is, is it loving? Is it right? Is it best? Because there's a lot of things that we could say, it's not sin for us to do, but we know that we're going to hurt somebody else or we're going to destroy unity in doing it. We've seen that all throughout COVID. We've seen that all throughout the year 2020, but it's not a new thing to us right now. And what, what the... Um, the law of love is asking of us is this. Would you be willing to make concessions in your life for the sake of unity with others for Christian unity? I heard Andy Stanley say this verse and it just stuck with me. So I'm gonna pass it. I'll just you know, share it again with you. He, he said, here's the principle. When unsure of what to do, ask what does love require of you? Isn't that good? When unsure, like, what should I do here? Ask, what does love require of us? So God's desire for every one of us here 
is that we would move forward with Jesus. Here, that which threatened the church from moving forward. Here, that which threatened Christians from moving forward. They just brought it right out in front of them and said, here's what you need to remember. You need to remember first and foremost that you need the gospel of grace at work in your life. You need to stop depending upon yourself in order to try to work your way to heaven, but to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you haven't done that, if this is like, this is what I always thought was going to get me to heaven, and you're realizing that is not what the scriptures tell us. That is not how we're going to be able to do it, because we all end up, you know, with our stuff on the other side. Tonight would be a perfect night to trust him. If you have trusted him, and you've been carrying this around with you, you are a Christian, but you're carrying around the guilt and the shame and this burden of the past, tonight and today, we need to confess that, Jesus, I've been carrying around that which you've forgiven. Like, ew, no more. And ask him to help you to live in that freedom of a cleared past. Second essential is the law of love. We need the gospel of grace and we need the law of love. Would you say that with me? In order to move forward, we're going to need the gospel of grace and then the the law of love. And the law of love is just going to ask us, is there anything keeping me from loving God? Are there any idols that are just coming between me and God right now? Then God, I'm going to ask you for forgiveness. I'm just going to acknowledge it and say, it's my job. It's this person. Maybe it's been sex itself. You know, that's what I've been willing to say. God, I'm going to say no to you so I can say yes to, yes to it. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. If it is the matter of immorality, then would you do the loving thing to others? And with regards to unity, if you've been standing up for your rights while dividing with others to say, love would ask me to make concessions so that I can continue to move forward and you can continue to move forward and the church of Jesus would continue to move forward. In response to Jesus tonight, would you join me in this prayer? Jesus, at the most pivotal point in history, your word came forth with great clarity. I think tonight, just the clarity of some of the things that are coming to us, this understanding that it's only going to be by your grace that I can be saved. And for those that are ready to receive Jesus tonight, to say, no more trust in my good works, but what you did for me on the cross and the resurrection, Jesus, I am asking you tonight to be my Lord and Savior. How many would say, Guy, that's me. Tonight, I'm asking for Jesus' salvation by grace and grace alone. Would you just lift a hand? If you're on screen, would you just acknowledge that in the chat for us? Okay, thanks. Thank you. If there is this matter of idolatry, immorality, lack of unity, something that is keeping you from moving forward in the law of love. 
Will you confess that tonight and say, Jesus, because of who you are and because of your love, I gladly, gladly yield this to you. How many say, guy, that's exactly what I need to do tonight? Would you just raise a hand? Yeah, just so many of us. Thank you again for your grace, Lord. What you're doing to help us each each aspect of our life until we see you face to face move forward with you. We pray this in your name. And everybody in agreement with me said, Amen. We hope you were encouraged today. Subscribe to the Fox River Podcast to ensure you don't miss future messages. Stay connected through our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, Make a difference in the lives of those you know by sharing with them. We are grateful for you and hope you join us again soon.